Thank you for joining us today. For me, it's a great pleasure to be able to spend time studying God's Word with you, especially as we look at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. You know, there's a lot of people that make predictions. Matter of fact, almost every week I have someone that comes to me and says, here's a dream I saw, or here's a, a prediction that I have. But the trouble is, a prediction is only as good as the source that it comes from. And the only reliable, 100% accurate, totally accurate source of prophecy is God's Word. And here's why, because it's written by God. And God knows the beginning, but He also knows the end. He knows exactly what's going to take place. And so today we want to continue our study on what happens after the rapture. Remember last week we, we studied on what takes place with believers and what takes place with the unsaved. What a contrast. Believers end up with total happiness, seeing things that their eye never dreamed of seeing, their, their mind being filled with things they never thought of before. And for the unsaved, it was destruction. It was eternal damnation. It was separation from God forever. This week, we come to the study of what happens after the rapture to the Antichrist. And I think the best way to describe it is there's a, a really quick rise to fame. That, that's what he wants. A really quick rise to fame. But an equally quick fall to destruction. And what's interesting is that this is all compacted after the rapture. And frankly, between the rapture and the beginning of the kingdom of God. So, as we look at it, we're going to look at the nature of this Antichrist. We're going to look at the goals that he has. His behavior, his plan, and finally his destruction. Believe me, the destruction of anyone opposed to God is incredible. And that's why today I urge you to come to Christ, because sooner or later the judgment of God will fall on those that oppose him, and such is the case with the Antichrist. And so today, let's do this. We want to look at a time frame for this Antichrist. And so much of what we're going to study today is found in the book of Second Thessalonians. We're going to begin in chapter 2. Remember, we spent time in several of our lectures in First Thessalonians chapter 4. It talks about the blessed hope. It talks about meeting Christ in the air for those who know Christ. Both those who have died and those who are still alive will meet him in the air. We're caught out. We're caught up from the earth and will be with him forevermore. That's called the rapture of the church. And so when you come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now we beseech your brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. I think chapter 2, verse 1 is also a reference to this rapture. And it's a great indicator of our time frame. And so notice now in verse 2, he says, Now don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by the word nor by the letter as from us, as that the day of the Lord is present. So he begins to talk about this day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period, but instead it's a time frame. It's a time when, when God begins to reveal this plan for how he's going to rule and reign. And so then, when you come to verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come the fallen away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So here's what we know. That verse 1 is the rapture. Verse 3 is talking about the kingdom of God that will be set up, the millennial kingdom. We'll look at a charge here in just a minute. But it says this, that's when the man of sin will be revealed, calling also the son of perdition. Really, this Antichrist has a number of names. Here, here's at least five of them. One is he's called the man of sin. That's a horrible name, isn't it? A man of sin. Next, the son of perdition. Or sometimes we call him the Antichrist, and, and that may be the, the nicest title that we give him. 
because mostly he's referred to as the beast. He's the first beast in Revelation chapter 13. We'll be looking at that a little later in our study. And he's also called the wicked one. And so here's where we see the time frame in which he's going to be revealed. Now, as we look at this time frame, I want to show you the chart that we've looked at several times. Here's the rapture. This is when Christ will come down in the clouds. Those of us that are believers will be caught up together with him in the clouds. It says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then, this is the kingdom, a thousand year period, when God will make this earth function as he wanted it to make. He will come in glory. He will defeat the Antichrist and he will set up his kingdom. But these seven years in between, this is really the heyday for this Antichrist. And so as we look at this area, I want you to see, first of all, the activity of the Antichrist. It's interesting because here's what it says, according to verse 4, he comes and he's going to oppose God. Now that gives you some idea of his very nature. He opposes God. Matter of fact, then you see this, and he exalts himself. You see, he opposes God, he exalts himself. There's really four things he does. Now he's going to sit in the temple of God, and next he's going to claim that he is God. So the Antichrist has the same goal that the devil's always had. The Antichrist follows the pattern of the devil. Remember that in, in the temptation in Luke chapter 4, Satan wanted Jesus to, to worship him, wanted him to bow down to him. And so the Antichrist will have exactly the same goals as he opposes God. Notice his position. He sits in the temple. He wants worship. That, that's what the devil strives for. That's why he got cast out of heaven. He wanted to be equal with God. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted worship from God. And so then we come to this next thing. Verse 6, it says, Now you know what restrains that he might be revealed in this time. Really important to see that he's restrained. He's held back. You see, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, and if it wasn't for the Church of God, and the presence of God right now on the, on the planet, then the devil, through the Antichrist, would do his devilish work. What does he want to do? He wants to deceive. That's what we find in this chapter 2. He wants to lie. He wants to gain power. He wants to be worshipped. And so he's restrained. There's something that restrains him. And that restraining comes as a result of Jesus not coming to the clouds. When he does come, he removes the Spirit of God in the church of God. And then the devil can continue his devilish activity. Now, according to verse 7, look at this. Even in Paul's day, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. There's a there's iniquity that he has, and how he does it, it's a mystery. It hasn't been revealed until he comes uh, to be revealed in this particular chapter after the rapture. But the spirit is already at work. The spirit of Antichrist is there. And so the Antichrist is already working today. You see, I have a lot of people that make guesses as to the Antichrist. I've even wondered sometimes when I see people, could they be the Antichrist? But the Bible says he's not going to be revealed. But here's what we find in verse 8. And then, there's the time frame, and then shall that wicked one be revealed. Now it's interesting because the idea of revealed means to pull back the cover. In other words, let's just take this flipper that I have in my hand. It's been here, but if I put a cover over it, now it's hidden. It's restrained. But there's a time when the Bible says he's going to be revealed and it says he'll pull back the cover. And now you say, oh, yeah, it's been there all along. I think the Antichrist is alive today on planet Earth. I think he's involved in the affairs of the world. 
But Daniel says that right now he's a little toe. He's not a predominant king. He's not a predominant leader. But there will be a time after the rapture when the Spirit of God is, is removed from this scene that then shall the wicked one be revealed. The cover will be pulled away. Now it's also interesting that it says this, that when he comes, verse 9, he will come in the workings of Satan. That's his activity. He'll have power. Well, he's going to impress people. He's going to do signs. He's going to do lying wonders. In other words, all of his wonders are never for the good of mankind, but it's always to impress people so they can deceive them. This is totally different than what Jesus did. In the Gospels, when Jesus came, he, he never did things for his own comfort, but instead he did things for the good of humanity, whether it was to feed them or to heal them or to resurrect them. But Satan and the Antichrist, they have an opposite motive, and they come with lying wonders. And so he comes with Satan's power. That's his activity, but here's the part that I really like, his destruction. Yeah, go back up to verse 8. Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. You see, the Lord's going to consume him, and he's going to do it with his own glory. The thing that Satan is envious of is the glory of God, the position of God. But there's going to be a time, and I think it's just after the tribulation ends, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's described in Revelation 19. We'll get there in a few minutes in our study of this Antichrist. So you see his ambition, and you see his rise to power, and you see how deceptive it is. Now here are some other key verses that we need to keep in mind. I want to read this one to you. It's so important. 1 John chapter 4. And by the way, the Apostle John, whether in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or in the book of Revelation that he was a human instrument for, he, he refers to this Antichrist or to this beast as much as any other writer of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. Even uh, in every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And so we know for a fact that the spirit of Antichrist is here. He is here. His spirit is here. He wants to do his devilish work, but it's restrained because the spirit of God is greater. The Bible says it's greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so again, the power of God is way superior to the power of Antichrist and to the devil. And then as we look at other key passages, I think one is in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. Remember in our study, we saw that the rapture took place in Revelation chapter 4. We saw last week, as we looked at believers, we saw the beautiful scene that they had in heaven. Seeing a hundred million angels, seeing the lamb that was slain and now resurrected, and seeing the glory of God. Wow, it was a beautiful picture. But when you come to Revelation chapter 6, now it begins this time of tribulation. And it begins with the Lamb of God opening up one of the seals. You see, the Lamb of God doesn't open the seals until he gets the worship in the crowns of the saints and that can't take place until we're raptured. But the first thing he does after the worship of the saints, the resurrected and the raptured saints, then it says the Lamb opened one of the seals. And what happens, Revelation chapter 6 verse 2, is now someone comes forth on a white horse. Now even though he comes forth on a white horse, he's a bad guy. We're, we're used to television, you look and if a guy's riding a, a white horse, he's normally the good guy. But in this case, he's a bad guy. And what is interesting, in chapter 6, verse 2, 
as the first seal is broken. Remember, there's 21 judgments. The first one that comes now allows the Antichrist to go and to conquer. But it's interesting because as you read it, it said this, He sat on his horse, a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer, but it said he had a bow, no arrow. In other words, the very first thing he's going to try to do is to bring peace. Let me show you how important this is. Other key passages that we've talked about on several occasions, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It says this, that when that 483-year period ended, that was when Christ came and was crucified and resurrected, the next time God deals with the Jewish people will be the final period of seven, to make 490 years. That period of seven is called the tribulation. And it begins, Daniel 9.27, as the Antichrist comes and he introduces himself and his peacemaking abilities by confirming a peace treaty with the leaders of Israel for a period of seven years. Now what is interesting is it implies the peace treaties are already been made. There, there's one in effect, but it's not working. It also indicates this, that what he's going to do is promise Israel something that they want. I think it will be peace. I think it will be some freedom. Because later in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that during this period of time, that the Jews will have no walls, the children will be able to play in the streets, that there will be no fear. You see, it's very different than right now. There are walls in, in Jerusalem. There are walls in Israel. There, there's not a time of peace in Israel. They, they are constantly having rockets fall on their heads. But now this Antichrist comes. And I believe that among the things that he's going to do, he's going to promise Israel that they can go back and worship on the Temple Mount, a very sensitive subject. Remember in one of our past lessons, we talked about how that Israel wanted to begin sacrifices again, and they love to do it on, on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount. But they can't, because right now, the Dome of the Rock is sitting there, and it's controlled really by the Palestinian police. And so there's no way for them to worship. But when this Antichrist comes, he's going to confirm a peace treaty, it's going to look like he's a peaceful man, and he's going to allow them some things that will make the, the Jewish leader say, yep, we can trust him. And I believe among the things that he's going to promise is that they'll be able to go back and begin to worship again on the Temple Mount. Now, I'll show you in a minute how this all fits together. Because you see, according to Revelation chapter 6, verse 3, this is now the second seal. He comes, he says, peace and safety. But guess what? The second seal, as soon as he makes peace, he brings war. Yeah, he actually rides a, a red horse, and that red horse, he brings war. He says one thing, and he does another. You see, it's like the passage in Thessalonians. When they say peace and safety, there's going to be sudden destruction. It will come, exactly as the Bible predicted. Then, the third seal. When the third seal is broken, Revelation chapter 6, verses 5-6, through 6, it talks about worldwide famine how that the world, the whole world, will suffer as a result of famine. The Bible doesn't give the details of what will take place to cause the famine, but maybe it's the great disruption because of the war. Maybe it's a great disruption because of all the pandemics that are going to come. And speaking of that pandemic, notice this. You see, when you come to other key passages, the next one is the fourth seal. It says that death will come. And probably... As described in that passage, the result of disease and pestilence. Here's what's incredible. We've just gone through a time when, when we've watched people, about a million have died worldwide from COVID-19. That's horrible. That's a tragedy. 
some of you probably lost loved ones or at least friends or acquaintances due to COVID-19. But can you imagine when the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, when the four sealers opened up, that one-fourth of the population dies in a same single pandemic. I get, we've had a million people die, and it's a tragedy. Now we're talking one billion, five hundred million people to die in one single pandemic. My friend, you understand, the time of the tribulation is horrible, and it's instituted by the devilish work of Satan and the Antichrist. And so he really is the son of perdition. He really is the wicked one. He really is opposed to everything that God has because, see, God's in the business of saving people and the Antichrist and the devil are in the business of killing people. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But the devil, is he's the way of death. And so what, an, what a key passage to understand the activity and the purpose and the goals of the Antichrist. And it doesn't stop there. As we continue in Revelation chapter 11, now this Antichrist comes, and you know what he does? He kills two witnesses. These two witnesses are faithfully proclaiming that Jesus, the Messiah, was here and was crucified. And the world's going to hate them so bad that when they're actually put to death, they're going to celebrate. They're going to have Happy Dead Witnesses Day. They're going to keep their, their bodies in the streets of Jerusalem for 84 hours. And at the end of 84 hours, the Bible says in Revelation 11 that all the world will be watching the news. And these two witnesses that were killed... By the instruction of the Antichrist, they'll resurrect, they'll stand, they'll, they'll be raptured into heaven, and great panic will, will, will go out across the world. Revelation chapter 12, we now come to the midpoint of the tribulation. In Revelation 11, it says 42 months, that's three and a half years, right in the midpoint of the tribulation, as predicted by Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Matthew chapter 24, right in the middle of the tribulation, when the Antichrist tries his, his most devilish scheme. And so in Revelation 12, when all this is taking place, there's a war in heaven. It says that, that Michael and his angels fought against Satan, the dragon, the red dragon, who's the devil. And, of, and praise God, Michael wins. And so now the devil is cast out. And when he's cast out, his hatred for Israel is even, is even greater than it's been before. And he does all he can to destroy them. The Bible says this, That great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And now, the Bible even says this, that now he's mad. And the reason he's mad is he knows he's got a limited time to do his devilish work. Then you come to chapter 13. And wow, what a chapter it is. Because you see in chapter 13, now the Antichrist says, you know what, I have the world exactly where I want them. I know my time is short. I have the world exactly where I want them. And watch as we go through verse by verse in chapter 13. We've been to this chapter a number of times in our study. By now you, you know it very well. I hope it's even marked in your Bible. But it says this, that first in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, I saw upon the sand of the sea a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So, this first beast is none other than this Antichrist. He comes out of the Gentile nations. The book of Psalms refers to the Gentile nations as a sea. Later you'll see there's a beast that's going to come out of the earth. 
I think the earth is often used to picture Israel. But this beast, I think, will, will be out of the Gentile world powers. He has seven heads. In other words, he's a continuation of all those kingdoms that have been opposed to God. There's ten crowns. I think the founder of the Treaty of Rome, here's what they said. Their very words were this, that the Treaty of Rome reinstates Europe as Rome. That's their words, not mine. Recently, we've seen the United Nations divide the whole world into ten regions, exactly as the Bible said would take place from Daniel chapter 2. That the stone, which represents the kingdom of God in the millennial kingdom, when it comes, there will be a ten toes, an extension out of, out of the two legs, which are the Roman Empire. The Bible, you see, is right on schedule with what is taking place. And so verse 1 introduces this Antichrist coming out of the Gentile powers and out of the Gentile nations, and he grabs the control. Verse number 2, it says this, that the dragon, that's the devil, gave power to the Antichrist. It, matter of fact, the, the devil gave his power and his throne to the Antichrist. You see, now this Antichrist is demon-possessed. He's devil-possessed. I think of Judas. And remember there came a time when he was devil-possessed, and he tried to sell Jesus. And now this Antichrist, he's, he's devil-possessed. Chapter 13, verse 3. It says that this Antichrist is wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. You know what he does? He fakes resurrection. He counterfeits resurrection. Listen, do you understand that Satan may have power, but he does not have power equal to God? And only God, only Jesus, who is also God, can die and resurrect. The devil has, doesn't have that power, but he fakes it. He wants people to believe that he really is this Christ, this, this Messiah. He wants them to believe that, that he has all the power that, that, of the Almighty God. Chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, And they worshipped the dragon, that's the devil, who gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast. Here's what they wanted. They wanted worship, they wanted power. Seven times in this chapter, power from the devil is given to the Antichrist so that he can deceive and, and keep the world in a lost condition. Chapter 5, or chapter uh, 13, verse 5. In other words, they're just going verse by verse. It says this, that now... This Antichrist, well, he's going to speak great things. Power is given to him, and he continues for 42 months. But what he speaks is blasphemy against God. He's opposed to God. His true colors are now being shown. Chapter 13, verse 6, guess what he does? When he opens his mouth, he's in the tabernacle of God. See, he wants that worship. He wants that place of worship. But he blasphemes God again. Chapter 13, verse 7, it's worldwide. His power has given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. See the power? See the worldwide condition? Verse 8. Guess what he wants? All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Now he's getting what he wants. And so, as you look at this, do you see his, his rise to power? Then, in verse 11, a strange situation occurs. Now a second beast comes. This second beast comes out of the earth. I, I, I personally think that it might be a Jew that will actually endorse this Gentile that came out of the Gentile world powers. And this false prophet is what he's called. You see, there's a false trinity. Just as there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, well, there's the devil corresponding to, to God the Father. There's a, an antichrist corresponding to Jesus Christ. And there's a false prophet, a second beast, that corresponds to the Holy Spirit. 
And so when this false prophet comes, he supports the Antichrist. That's exactly the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't ask us to worship him. No, he directs worship to Jesus Christ. And so this false prophet, he's telling people, wow, worship this, this Antichrist. And so here's what he does. It says this, that he also has power. He deceives people. He does miracles. And then he does his crowning act. And his crowning act is he gives life unto the image of the beast. You see, this beast that everyone thinks is dead, suddenly now they say it's resurrected. But notice this, he only gives life to the image of the beast. Wow. The lie, the deception, all so that he can destroy people and keep them on their way to hell. And then again in chapter 13, the famous verses, the incredible verses that we've read several times. Here's what he does. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and enslaved, to receive a mark on the right hand or in their foreheads. In other words, he said, listen, if you're going to survive in this world situation, as, as incredible it is, remember, 21 judgments are going on. And in these 21 judgments, I figure at least one half of the world's population has already died, and others are calling for death to come. And so now he says, you must be registered with me. You, you must vote for me. You must accept me. The same way in this day of grace we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's how the Antichrist wants you to do him in the coming day. And so they take a mark, and they, that, that mark is a, a, a validation of his, of his value and his place. And so then we come to chapter 17. Now the reason I say that is because you see chapter 17, a few chapters later, it begins to tell how this power comes and how his destruction ends. But in chapter 17 we find that what he does, there, he says there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, that would be Rome at the time of John's writing. And one is going to come and it will only continue a short space. And then, when they're here only a short space, that's these ten kings, they're going to give all their power to this Antichrist. And he is opposed to God and there will be a, an incredible fight when the beast will actually fight the lamb. Now, you would think that a beast fighting a lamb, that the lamb would have no, no chance. But let me tell you, the Bible is very clear. It says the lamb shall overcome them. Why? Because he's the, really the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's why. And so in chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, he gains power from these, these uh, ten world leaders, exactly as the Bible is predicted all the way back in the book of Daniel. Then you come to chapter 19. There's the battle of Armageddon. So between chapter 17 and chapter 19, as the, as the Antichrist is doing his devilish work, trying to get everyone lined up, when he comes to the battle of Armageddon, Guess what? God defeats him. How does he defeat him? It says that Christ comes back. Remember, he came the first time, and it, we met him in the air. When he comes the second time, he's going to come all the way to the earth, and when he does, he will defeat the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. Wow, how, how brilliant the glory of God must be. It's interesting because the Bible describes this incredible battle in Revelation chapter 19. I want to read just a few verses, but you'll enjoy reading it on your own. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. That has to be Jesus. He's the only one that's faithful, and he's the only one that's true. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were like the flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That's his glory. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Remember when Jesus came the first time, he was dipped in, in blood, his own blood, now it will be the blood of his enemy. His name is called the Word of God. 
the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the armies that were in heaven, I think that's going to be me and you if you know Christ, we're going to follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of the mouth of, of Jesus goes a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads on the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh and they written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes, it says that, that as all people gather into this valley called Megiddo, or the Battle of Armageddon, it says that by the time he's done, at the end of this Battle of Armageddon, he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and he casts them into the lake of fire. Now that's Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Literal fire burning. You see, there's something very unique about this fire, though. While it's a literal fire, it doesn't destroy, it, it prolongs the agony. There will be suffering, there will be pain. I think there will be blackness. But this Antichrist and this false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. And then we go to chapter 20. Now let me show you where we are in the chart. All this action of the Antichrist took place in this seven years. He couldn't be revealed until the rapture occurred. Once the battle of Armageddon comes, he's defeated. And so all this takes place. By the end of the seven years, he's, remember his quick rise to fame? Huh. And then his quick destruction. And so as we go now to the kingdom age, here's what it says in Revelation chapter 20. Because now he deals not only with the Antichrist, but he's going to deal with the aspect of, of Satan himself. Because you see, they're related in their, in their um, annoyance. They're related in their their goal to have power and worship and to overthrow God. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, that the devil is bound, he's tied up, he's thrown into a bottomless pit. What does it mean to have a bottomless pit? I've thought about that, and I don't know that I understand it completely, but let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it means this, that you're falling forever. It's bottomless. You, you, you see, every day you're getting further and further away from God. A bottomless pit. Can you? Make, some people are afraid to fall, even on a, a roller coaster ride, or are going over a railroad track, and they they get a, a thrill in their stomach or a pain in their stomach when it occurs. Can you imagine falling for a thousand years? And then chapter twenty, verse four, it says that this is a time that Christ rules and reigns for a thousand years. He's going to show Earth exactly how He wanted it to be. It's going to be an incredible time. A baby, if you die at 100, you'll, you'll be a baby. Some people will live an entire thousand years. And then, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. This is incredible. It says, when the thousand years are ended, here's what's going to take place. The devil will be released out of the bottomless pit. And it's hard to, to, to realize this. But verse 8 says he goes back out to deceive the nations again. You see, in 1,000 years of falling, in 1,000 years of torment, he still hasn't learned his lesson. He's still, the nature of the devil, he still is opposed to God. And it goes back to try to deceive people. You know what I say? I say he's a slow learner. He had 1,000 years to learn a lesson, and he couldn't do it. Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. This is incredible. It says this, that now... God comes. It says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire in brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil joins the first and second beast in the lake of fire. They're there forever. The opposition to God, the, 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 the promoter of sin, the promoter of death, wow, 
he's going to go to hell. Now, when I say that, sometimes people have the wrong idea about hell. Yes, it is where Satan will live forever and dwell forever. It's where the first beast and the second beast are. But it's not where Satan controls. It's not even where Satan owns something. You see, he's a loser. He doesn't even own the place that he's going to dwell in forever and ever. Forever he'll be in torment. My friend, do you understand that if you don't come to Jesus Christ, then, then your company forever and ever is going to be the loser, the devil, and the antichrist, and the false prophet. You're going to be in torment, and the only company you're really going to recognize, other than the cries of other people, is going to be these three, this, this triunity of evil. Wow. Why would a person go to hell? You understand, you go to heaven by choice, and you go to hell by choice. Jesus provided a way to heaven, free of charge, through his son. And Satan wants you to go to hell because he knows eventually he will end up in hell. And so as we come to the end of our program, what happens after the rapture to the Antichrist? Wow. He rises to fame very quickly. He deceives the world. He wants them to, to worship him. He, he demands a mark. But his days are short because his true nature is discovered and disposed of and destroyed by the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to side with Jesus Christ. Hey, are you ready? The reason I say that is because, you see, Jesus bore my sins on the cross. You know what hurt him more than the nails and the thorns and the spear? It was the penalty of my sin. My sin on that holy Savior was very painful. But he bore it for me. He bore my sin. You know what? Jesus suffered my hell on the cross. We'll never know how horrible hell is because we'll escape it. But those who don't receive Christ, you're going to find out how much God loves you. I remember Nate Bramson said this. He said, those of you who go to hell, you're going to find out how much God loves you because God paid enough so you didn't have to go to hell. He, Jesus suffered hell for you, for me. So you'd never have to go there. And when you are in hell, you're going to find out, wow, that's how much God loved me. That's what Jesus died so that I'd never have to, to go to hell. I could go to heaven and be with him. You see, Jesus paid the total price for my sin debt. Thank you, Lord. That's what I say. Have you ever said that to him? Are you ready? When I look at what's taking place in the world, I know that we're on the brink of the second coming of Jesus Christ. I know we're on a, a time when the spirit of Antichrist is... is really make himself known. But he can't be revealed until the rapture occurs. But that could occur today. Are you ready? And if you're not right now, you could be ready. Why would you want to be with, with the devil and with the Antichrist and with the false prophet? Why would you want to be in hell forever when you could be with Jesus in heaven forever? So you say, well, how, how do I make that choice? Number one, you admit you're a sinner. You admit that by your actions, you admit by your nature, that I'm a sinner. I'm opposed to a holy God. I've offended a holy God. And as you admit that, you repent of that sin. Number two, you acknowledge. You acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God. That when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came to die on the cross. And on the cross, he shed his blood. He died. He was buried. He rose again by the power of God. Number three, you accept. You receive John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, that they might have life. My friend, have you ever admitted you're a sinner? 
Have you ever acknowledged that Jesus is your substitute and your Savior as He died on the cross? And have you ever personally accepted Him, received Him? If not, do so right now. Take Jesus, because that way you can spend eternity with Him, the one who loved you and died for you, and not with the loser. That's the devil. That's the Antichrist. That's the false prophet. Come to Jesus today. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.